Hey, Crime Style listeners, welcome back to another episode. I'm Ashley, and with me always is my partner in crime, Ricky. And a crime that we're going to talk about this week happened many years ago. However, new evidence revealed just a few weeks ago will hopefully shed new light on the Mansfield family and their crimes. Today, we are going to give you a deep dive into not only Billy Mansfield Jr., a man convicted of murdering and assaulting at least five women in the late 1970s and early 1980s, but we'll also look into the violent and criminal past of his father and brother. These crimes were committed almost 50 years ago, but a discovery on the Mansfield property in Wikiwatchee, Florida, has led to new questions about the scope of Billy's murders and who was really involved. Billy Mansfield Jr. was born in 1956 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Being the eldest of five children, his life was far from perfect. Billy's father, William Mansfield Sr., was a convicted sex offender and was charged for 40 crimes involving sexual abuse of dozens of young girls between the ages of 3 and 15 years old. Outside of the abuse, William has been charged with a whole slew of other crimes, from breaking and entering to armed robbery. There is also a history of heavy drug use in the family, and in 1947, years before Billy was born, William was charged for assault and spent two years in a Michigan prison before being released on parole, where he returned home to begin growing his family with his wife, Virginia. From an early age, Billy quickly began to follow in his father's footsteps. According to neighbors, three homes that were on the Mansfield property burned down while Billy was growing up, and the family's youngest daughter drowned when she was only 18 months old. For police and detectives in the Grand Rapids area at the time, dealing with the Mansfields was the hallmark of the job. Complaints of shots being fired from the property was common. So were broken windows, slashed tires of cars around town, and stolen bikes, lawn furniture, and other items showing up around the Mansfields' home. Even worse, at least a dozen women reported being assaulted at their home during the years they lived in the Grand Rapids. When the Mansfield's family packed up and moved to Florida, it's safe to say that no one was sad to see them go. It was only because Billy was a juvenile that he never really had to serve any long prison sentences for his violent behavior. Despite his youth, many openly admitted to being afraid of Billy. Police and others that knew him said that Billy was a strange boy, quiet, lanky, sandied hair, and even well-mannered. But what they remember most about him, though, were his eyes. The deputy at the time the Mansfields lived in Michigan described Billy as having eyes that would burn a hole right through you, like he was looking right through you. Though his family had migrated to Florida, Billy frequently returned to Michigan where his violent criminal behavior seemed to grow worse. 
By the 1970s, when he was in his early 20s, he had been in and out of prison. Despite his growing rap sheet, Billy married a 16-year-old girl in 1973 and had his first and only child with her, a son who he named after himself. And then in 1976, he was accused of raping two 27-year-old women, but found not guilty. Only a few years later in 1979, Billy was accused again for two counts of rape, this time for sexually assaulting a 15 and a 16-year-old girl at knife point. This time, however, he was convicted and sentenced to time in Southern Michigan prison. While jailed in Michigan, Billy was cellmates with a man named Albert Lee III. After somewhat befriending him, Lee confessed to Billy that he had murdered an 11-year-old girl in Grand Rapids by strangling her with her own necklace. Billy then shared this information with law enforcement in order to get a reduced sentence. He was released on parole in February 1980 and moved back in with his family on his parents' property in Wikiwachi, Florida. Unsurprisingly, given his past, in June of 1980, having only been out of prison for a few months and still on parole, Billy was once again in trouble with the law. He was charged with battery and false imprisonment of a young woman in Florida. Given everything that later comes to light, this young woman is lucky to have survived her encounter with Billy. Before he's able to be convicted, Billy flees from his family's property in Florida with his younger brother, Gary. With police now looking for Billy, the brothers settle in Santa Cruz, California, staying at a KOA campground and supposedly working at a mushroom farm. There was no contact between the Mansfield brothers and the Santa Cruz police until November of 1980, when Billy's name came up on the computer as having an outstanding warrant in Hernando County. Bail was set at $1,575, which Billy made shortly after he was arrested. Detectives in Florida attempted to get the bail raised to $10,000, but they were unsuccessful and Billy was released on bond. Only two weeks later in December of 1980, Billy Mansfield met a young woman named Renee Saline at a local bar. Renee was 29 years old and the mother of three children. After spending some time with Billy in the bar, she was seen leaving with him later that night. This was the last time that anyone would see her alive. The next morning, Renee's body was found by a passing driver in a water-filled ditch on the side of the road in Watsonville, California. She had been strangled to death at another location and her body was discarded. Her blouse had been ripped and her pants were pulled to her ankles. The drainage ditch where Renee was found was only a short way away from the Santa Cruz campground where Billy and Gary had been living for the past few months. With the discovery of Renee's body made public, but before the police were able to recognize Billy as the primary suspect, the Mansfield brothers fled to northern Nevada. Only a few days later, the police asked around the campground for anyone who recognized their main suspects, Billy and Gary. The desk clerk of the KOA recognized them and alerted the police that they had been staying there. The clerk said she remembered Billy due to his penetrating blue eyes, so blue that they looked as if there were nothing behind them. From there, police were able to trace their route to Wenamoka, Nevada, where they were picked up by a cop for questioning about Renee's murder. 
Though they lied about their names and ages, the cop knew their physical description matched the primary suspects in the murder, and he put them into custody. Given that Billy was seen leaving the bar with Renee and his history of violence and abuse, he was charged with murder, while Gary was charged as an accessory. The Mansfield brothers were brought back to California to stand trial for Renee Salling's murder. Despite the evidence on December 22, 1980, they both pleaded not guilty. While in custody, waiting for the trial, the authorities received a tip from a confidential informant that there was a body buried under the house of the Mansfield family property. Given Billy's violent past, they took this tip seriously and began their search of the five-acre lot. Investigators were horrified by what they found. Over the course of the next few weeks, police began to dig around the property. There, they uncovered four sets of human remains. While the property officially belongs to William Mansfield Sr., at the time the police arrived, he was serving his 30-year sentence in prison for four charges of sexually assaulting young girls. Given the amount of time Billy spent on the Wikiwachi property and his history, investigators felt confident that he was responsible for burying these bodies here. The first body was found in a shallow grave, only a few feet from the main house. Resting in a fetal position and covered with a blanket, this was the skeleton of a woman in her mid-twenties. According to forensic analysis, her cause of death was from a blow to the head. Her arms and her wrist had been bound with wire. Based on the decay, they calculated that she had died in 1979, which was about two years earlier. Near her remains, they found a small blue aqua pendant with a heart design on it. Even now, nearly 40 years later, investigators are still unable to identify the woman they found in the grave. After finding the first body, police knew they needed to continue searching the Mansfield property. A week or so later, near a recently installed water pump, they found more female remains, this time of a girl even younger than the first. She had a thick wire wrapped around her neck and her skull had been fractured. Using dental records, they were able to identify the girl. The remains are found to be that of Elaine Ziegler. Elaine was just 15 years old when she had gone missing while on vacation in Florida with her family in December of 1975, over six years earlier. Originally from Warren, Ohio, the family had stopped while on vacation in Florida to spend the night at a KOA campground near Wikiwachi Springs. On December 31st, Elaine had left her family's camp to go take a shower before going to bed. The last time her family remembers seeing her was about 10.30 at night. When they woke up the next morning, they found that she had never returned. They immediately feared the worst. Police wrote off Elaine as a runaway. Witnesses said that they had seen her talking with a man in his early 20s near the showers that night and that she had gotten into his car. After waiting a week at the campground, hoping she would return, the family returned to Ohio without their daughter. I could not imagine. And just a little known fact about Ricky and I, we're just less than an hour away from Warren, Ohio. In the six years since then, 
Elaine's family had no idea where she had gone or what had happened to her. With the findings of her skeleton on the Mansfield property, they finally knew the horrible truth that she had been murdered. Elaine Ziegler was Billy Mansfield's first confirmed victim. With two bodies found, the police continued their search. A week later, on April 3rd, another body was found. This was about 75 feet away from the family's home. She was estimated to have been between the ages of 16 and 18 years old at the time of her death. Sadly, as with the first Jane Doe, she remains unidentified to today. For both bodies, there were attempts at facial reconstruction and artist renderings of what they suspected the woman looked like, and investigators also compared dental records, but police were unsuccessful in identifying these women. No missing persons in the county quite matched their descriptions. After about a month of searching the property, police uncovered the skeleton of one final victim before closing their investigation. Only three feet from the Jane Doe near the house was the body of Sandra Jean Graham, a 21-year-old community college employee who had been missing for almost a year. Sandra had last been seen leaving a Tampa area liquor store just after midnight on April 27th of 1980. According to witnesses, she was seen leaving the store with a biker, which investigators assumed was Billy Mansfield Jr. Given the shallowness of the graves and how closely they were positioned to the house and how many bodies were found, police suspected that the members of the Mansfield family had helped bury the bodies or at the very least had to have known that they were there. Virginia Mansfield, Billy's mother, denies any knowledge of wrongdoing and was reportedly surprised by the findings. Billy's younger brother, Robert, only 18, had recently been arrested for burglary of a nearby home and didn't comment. Though Billy's father was in prison at the time the bodies were excavated, given how long some had been buried and his own violent nature, we have to wonder of his involvement and knowledge of Billy's crimes. During all the time that the investigators were searching the Manfield's property in Florida, Gary and Billy were waiting to stand trial for the murder of Renee Saling in Santa Cruz, California. As the news of the new victims became public, a judge determined to move the trial to a nearby county to avoid any bias against Billy that might stem from that. After hearing the defense and prosecution's cases, which largely focused on a single thread of evidence that was found on a pair of pants, the jury took three weeks to deliberate and ended up with a 9-3 vote, believing Billy to be guilty. But without a unanimous decision of guilty from all the jurors, the judge was forced to declare it a mistrial. As a second trial was prepared, prosecutors offered a deal to Gary. He could receive immunity if he testified against his brother. The second trial was scheduled for February 7, 1982, nearly six months after the first trial. While awaiting his second trial, Billy Mansfield remained in prison in the Santa Cruz County Jail. On October 26, Billy, with the help of a fellow inmate named Ben Berrigan, were able to unravel the chain mesh at the top of the fence in the rec yard and climbed over the fence to escape. Given that he was wanted on five accounts of murder, all local police were looking for him. 
Luckily, he was found and arrested again only 12 hours later after police dogs were used. The dogs tracked him nearly five miles away from the prison where he was hiding in some bushes of a residential subdivision. Billy didn't want to put up a fight and went with the officers back to his cell in Santa Cruz. Billy lived out the remaining months before his trial for Renee Salling's murder quietly in the California prison. When his trial finally began, it took two weeks to hear all arguments and for the jury to deliver their decision. This time, it was a unanimous guilty verdict. His brother Gary, who had also been in prison for many months for his involvement, had taken the plea deal for immunity and was not charged as an accessory to Renee's murder. Billy Mansfield was sentenced to 25 to life for what he did to Renee Salling that night in Santa Cruz. While Billy was awaiting this verdict in California, Florida prosecutors determined that they would indict Billy for the murders of four women found on his family's property. Though he finally claimed to be innocent, he later changed his mind and took the plea deal. As part of the deal, he pled guilty to four counts of murder, one count of attempted sexual battery, and one count of forcible confinement. His sentence was four life sentences for his crimes to be served concurrently with the California sentence. Despite the severity of his crimes, he was still eligible for parole in 25 years. To this day, Billy is still in prison. He has applied for and been denied parole four times. His last hearing was in 2012 and his next will be in 2022. Given that he was in and out of prison since his teens and has killed at least five women from 1975 to 1980, we are hopeful that the judges will continue to deny his parole. As of today, he's 64 years old and continues to serve out his life sentences at the California Health Care Facility in Stockton, California. And of course, we wish that this was the end of Billy Mansfield and his family's horrific story. That no more tragedy could come and the knowledge that no more lives were taken at the hands of this dangerous man. But in the last few weeks, Investigators are beginning to think that what Billy stood trial for was only for a fraction of his crimes. In the years since Billy was found guilty, William Mansfield Sr. was released early from prison for good behavior in 2005. Now in 2020, he is 80 years old and still resides on the five-acre lot in Wikiwachi, where the bodies of four of Billy's victims were found. And Gary Mansfield, having been cleared of charges relating to Renee Selling's murder, also moved back to the home and lives there with his father. Just recently, on October 27th of 2020, the police showed up at Gary's house at 5 in the morning with a search warrant related to a drug case. And in searching Gary's property, they found not only illegal drugs, but the equipment necessary for a meth lab. As they were arresting and escorting Gary, now a 63-year-old man off the property, he began to get upset and started yelling loudly. He screamed to the many officers that he wanted immunity for the drug charges. The demand for immunity made officers curious. What did he know? He yelled there's bodies all over the property. Given what had already been uncovered all of those years ago in the same lot, investigators brought in a search team to see if what Gary claimed was true. At this time, it's unclear exactly what was found, but reports suggest it may be additional human remains. 
The initial tip that led police to find the remains of Elaine Ziegler and Sandra Graham, along with the two yet-to-be-identified women, had suggested that there was at least two other bodies. When police weren't able to find these bodies, they assumed and hoped that their informant was a mistake. But with this new information from Gary and whatever they uncovered while searching the property, it seems as if the informant had been right all along. Even Billy Mansfield's only son, who also shares his name, believes that there were more bodies found on the property. He reasoned, if you found four or five bodies, you ain't stopping for four or five. And he wonders why Gary would have waited so long to reveal these remains or how old they may be. Billy's son also believes his father may be innocent and could have only pleaded guilty to avoid the death penalty. But given everything we know about Billy Mansfield and the Mansfield's family for that matter, we aren't quite as convinced. With Billy having only been in custody for nearly 40 years, the consensus seems to be whatever remains have been found in the Mansfield family property just a week ago must have been there for a very long time. But it is also possible that other members of the family may not be as innocent as police thought. Given the criminal past of both Billy's siblings and his father, it really wouldn't be surprising if there were others involved. Some even suggested that the Mansfield men assaulted some of these women together and may have worked together to hide the bodies in the backyard and the home. So as more information comes to light, we are hopeful here at Crime Salad Podcast that if any new victims are identified, this can help bring closure to the families who have been looking for answers for decades now. But as for now, this completes this week's episode of Crime Salad Podcast. We hope you all really enjoyed it. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. All the blood, blood, all the pain, pain. All the blood, blood, all the pain.